Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite, uh, or one of, one of the current theologians that I've listened to, and actually he's dead now, but somebody that I've heard many times um, and read stuff by him is A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer his, says, says this, Christianity at any time is strong or weak depending upon its concept of God. And I insist upon this, and I've said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is its unworthy concept of God. Uh, he's talking about the, how we view God, and he's talking about today, we're going to be talking about how important it is to have the right concept of who God is in our lives. Um, I thought about how to illustrate this today because I was thinking about different things we do. You know, how many of you have experienced moving? Ever, anybody here ever moved before? You know, I, th- I thought it was a universal experience. Uh, you ever moved yourself? Okay, you know, yeah, I have. I've done it both ways. You know, when I've moved with movers a, c- a couple of times, they always take these giant boxes and they, they fill them up and they, and they move them and they can carry them on their, do all kind of crazy things, you know. And, but when I move, you know, I, I mean, this box here is kind of useless. I mean, you can't put much in there. But if you have something small you want to protect, that would probably be a good box to put it in. But most of the time, I don't necessarily use the bigger box here because it's kind of hard to move. It gets filled up with stuff. So I kind of like this box here, this size box. It's a good size, this medium-sized box, because I can hold on to it. It's manageable. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, that, that, you know, you can put a few things in. It may be a little bit bigger than this, but a few things in. But it's a manageable-sized box um, uh, that when I move. Now, the thing about that is this, is that so often in life, we find ourselves putting God in a box. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but we put God in, in boxes. Sometimes we may put God, our God may fit in, in a box that's this big. It's, he's a God that we just kind of deal with on Sundays. I mean, the only time, you know, that God is in our life or that we think about God may be just on Sundays. And this, so our God was probably about that big. Now, some other people may have a God, you know, that's kind of this big. We put him in this size box. And he may be a God who is, you know, more a God who is, uh, he's involved in other parts of our life. We have, you know, uh, we have prayers we do things other times of the week we do a few other things in our life and god's in that box or we may have a big god we think and we send this big box down here and this is a god that you know has a large part large interest in our life and we uh, worship him in, in many ways but in a real sense today what i want to talk about is that we cannot put god in the box because when we do we limit what god can do in us through us and also, we don't see God in the right way. So we're going to talk about that today because that is what the scripture today is talking about. We're in chapter 11 of the story. And um, I ask you about this because your concept of God determines everything about your life. It really does. Uh, what many of us do is we put together a, a, a box for God and we don't even realize it sometimes. And we don't realize it because uh, we, we create this manageable box. Well, God, you know, this is the way I see you. And sometimes, let me just be honest with you, sometimes the box that we get were, was handed to us. Uh, you, may, you may have grown, grown up in a, in a church, in a church denomination. Uh, you may have grown up in a family that had a concept of God that, that was kind of handed to you. This is your concept of God. This is your God. This is the box he fits in. And he's not any bigger than this. <clears throat> But the thing is, um, the space you've made for God uh, is, the, is what, we, what I want to talk about today. How much space do we give God in our life? And if you have God in a small box, then the problem is your God is not good enough to do what you need him to do. Or to make a difference in your life. Because that's all you can see God doing is just doing this, a few things. And I want to exa- uh, examine that today from Scripture. Uh, what would happen if, the, if our concept of God changed? 
And what if you had no box for God at all? Uh, we're in chapter 11, like I said, of the story. And we're going to be looking today at the life of a, of a guy named David. Uh, we'll be spending the next three weeks looking at David. One of the, probably the longest, except for Jesus, probably the longest period of time we look at anybody in the story. But today we're going to look at David from the time he was first anointed as, as the king until the time he became inaugurated as king. And that was a period of time. There's a difference between the time anointed and the time inaugurated as king. And as we study this, I want you to see some things that I hope will blow up your box that you put God in. That when you leave here, you'll say, well, you know, the struggle, I shared this last week. I actually prepared this message. This is what was such a bummer because I feel so lousy. Uh, I, sh- I prepared this message like two weeks ago, and I got kind of stuck in, in the Scripture and reading through it. And it, it was, uh, the, the thing about it was it caused me to have a couple of sleepless nights even before I got sick and couldn't sleep. Uh, because asking myself, you know, what, what kind of box do I put God in? How do I limit God in my own life and what he can do for me and through me? Um, the first time we see David, though, today, we're going to talk about him. David was probably a freshman in high school, okay? We're guessing about the age of David, probably around uh, 14, 15 years old. And what is David doing? David is a shepherd. He's, uh, he's out in the fields. He's, he's tending sheep. He's, throwing, he's practicing his rock-throwing skills. Uh, he's doing a few things like he's singing songs. We know he did all those things. And uh, Samuel comes, it says in Scripture, remember last week we talked about Saul, and, and we talked about how God had, the people wanted the king, and as they wanted the king, what happened was is that God sends a guy named Samuel to be the person to anoint the new king, and the people say, hey, let's look at a king, let's find the right king, and they look for Saul, and what was Saul's qualifications? We talked about that last week. All of you remember, right, that we're here. Tall, good-looking, young. Okay, that was his qualifications. Doesn't that make great qualifications for a king? Tall, good-looking, young. And uh, the thing about it is, is that he went through, and for a few years, Saul had done pretty well. But then the problem is Saul started turning away from God, not following God's direction. And last week, he talked about how it came to a place where God gave Saul some very direct directions in regard to how to go out and, and to fight a battle. And Saul did part of it, but not all of it. And we called it almost obedience. And so we talked about that. At that point in time, from then on, God pulls his, his favor away from Saul and says, I'm going to anoint a new king. And so Samuel is in the process. We see in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, Samuel is in the process of going, um, going to a place where he's going to anoint a new king, Samuel being a kind of a prophet. And so he goes to the place called the house of Jesse. Jesse is a father who has eight sons. And Jesse's eight sons, uh, seven of them are at the house. And in, in chapter 16, verse 6, he goes to the house of Samuel. Uh, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. And as he goes there, he sees the oldest son, the oldest son of Jesse, which must, must have been a, you know, a right, you know, probably a good-looking kid. He's the oldest. Uh, you, know, you know how the oldest thing is, right? You know, usually oldest tends to be leader-type people. I'm the oldest. My wife's the oldest. You know, no, we don't do that. Um, so the thing is, is that sometimes in life we have, um, you know, he thought that. And so Samuel goes there and he sees Eliab, who's the oldest. And he says, and he looks at him. He hasn't done anything other than just look at him. He sees the outward appearance of the guy. And he says this, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Surely this must be the guy that you want to be the next king because he looks like a king. And, you know, Samuel has been around for a while now. And when we read this, he's, 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 he's an older man now. 
And he's been through life. He's seen all the, all the mistakes that Saul has made. He understands all those things. But he still has God in a box. Because he thinks that God, he still has this in his mind. This is the kind of guy, I look at him, this is the kind of guy that God can use. And he judges based on what he sees. And But God explains it to him very straightforwardly in the next couple of verses. He says this in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. <clears throat> the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the thing is, is that, see, Samuel, this, this guy that followed God, this guy that was the person who God used, still had his God in a box. This is the person, if I look at a person, this is the kind of person God can use. He couldn't use this person or that person. And we'll also see some other boxes here as well, because one of the problems is, 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 is uh, as he goes through the list of the seven brothers that are there, and as he goes through them, each one of them God rejects. And he's thinking, okay, God, you sent me here to Jesse's house to anoint a new king. So what's the deal? So he looks at Jesse. He doesn't know all about the family. He looks at Jesse and he says, well, by the way, Jesse, do you have anybody else? Any other sons? And Jesse says to him, um, say, yeah, uh, the youngest. Well, it's an interesting word in Hebrew, the word youngest there. The word youngest basically literally means runt of the litter. Yeah, yeah, I still got one son. He's the runt of the litter. His name is David. That's what it says, okay? I didn't make that up. It's in Scripture. It's the run of the litter. And see, Jesse, the father, knew that, that Samuel was coming here to anoint one of his sons as king, but he didn't see the potential in his youngest son, David. He put God in a box as well. That's what happens when we put God in a box. We don't see the potential in people. And so in 1 Samuel 16, he call, uh, they, they calls for him. Uh, uh, David comes and out from the fields. He smells like sheep. He's been out in the fields. He probably doesn't have his, you know, his uh, Sunday go to meeting clothes on or anything. He's got his sheep herding clothes on. He shows up and, and, and God says, yes, this is the one. And 1 Samuel 16, 12 says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him for this is the one. This is the one. This youngest run of the litter guy who, you know, he's a good looking kid, but he's a run of the litter guy who, uh, who nobody else sees as, as a potential. So this is where we kind of start today with the story because I want to break it down into three parts. There's three things I see, three chapters in the early part of David's life that points out the, the danger of placing God in the box and, the, and what we can do if we open the box and allow God to use and, and work in our lives in the way he wants to. The first chapter of his life, I would call it this, chapter one is God's anointing. God can use anybody. God can use anybody. <clears throat> See, the thought that God could use, use David was so outside of Jesse's box that he didn't even, didn't even have David come and meet Samuel. But see, God can use anybody. Uh, the tendency to think that we don't have enough life experience or are not educated enough or whatever the problem may be causes so many of us to say, God, well, you couldn't possibly use me or you can't possibly use that person. But I, I don't want you to think about this because this is really a summation of what we studied for the last 10 weeks in a real sense. As we have studied this story together, uh, there's been an, um, one of the emerge, emerging themes that we have seen is this. God can use anybody. Is that true? We've seen that time and again. Time and again. I mean, so many people think this. I'm too old for God to use. You know, I, I'm retirement age. I'm just going to kick back, you know, and, and, and kind of go through the next few years well how about abraham and sarah remember that story 
God uses to populate a new nation an elderly and fertile couple. See, God can use anybody. Some people say, well, I have too much baggage in my past, too much guilt in my past. Remember when, God, when, God, when the people of Israel came to, came to the city of Jericho and they needed somebody within the city walls to give them, give them support? And the, the spies that went in, who did they choose? Who did God choose? Rahab, the prostitute. I mean, talking about baggage. But God used, used her as well. Some people say, well, I'm too afraid. I don't know what God's going to do in my life because I'm just not really a, a forceful person. I'm too afraid. Remember Gideon? Gideon was a guy that was hiding in a hole. And God comes to him and says, you know, mighty warrior. You know, I mean, God can use anybody. And some people will say, well, it's too hard. You know, the thing that God, you want me to do, it's just too hard. Given the circumstances of my life and the situation I'm in. Think about Joseph. Joseph was a guy who, who had been a slave and then he was a prisoner. But he moved from that to vice president of Egypt. And God used him. Through all this, God can use it. It's been a theme throughout all of the story so far. See, the Bible is cohesive. It's not just a bunch of jumbled things. It's God's building his upper story here. So this is one of the things of the story that God can use anybody. And I want to share with you that we will be seeing this theme continued throughout Scripture as we go forward in the story for the next several weeks. For instance, he chooses a poor teenage girl named Mary from a small town. She had no significance, right? Yeah, she did. He chooses a tax collector named Matthew that everybody has written off to be one of his key followers. Uh, God chooses a fiery fisherman named Peter who had a problem with foot and mouth disease. And he was constantly doing things dumb, but God used him to become the primary leader in the early church. Uh, and God ch- chose a, a persecutor of, of Christians named Paul. His name was first Saul, but then became Paul, to, to write most of the New Testament. See, he can use anybody. And even in our world today, God has not stopped doing that. I think about people that God has used in our world today. <clears throat> that's, that's really good. Okay. I thought about Lee Strobel. Anybody know who Lee Strobel is? Anybody ever read A Case for Christ, Case for Christianity? Lee Strobel, an atheist who was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Who would think that he would become the person that God would use in our culture and our world today to help people who, are, who were trying to articulate faith? Use him as the key spokesperson for that. But God did. God can use anybody. How about Chuck Colson? I mean, when Chuck Colson died not long ago, the thing is, there was two headlines in the paper. There was two different headlines. One said, uh, Chuck Colson, the, the, uh, 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 I forgot what the title they called him for, but he wasn't a nice title because he worked in Nixon's administration and he was the kind of guy that was the, the dirty tricks guy. That was what he, some, some headlines said that. Other ones said, Chuck Colson, the guy that has reached out to the incredible Christian minister who was reaching thousands and thousands of, of prisoners across the United States in prison. Through a ministry. Who would have thought God would use him? And just this past week, I was, I was, I met, I had for, had lunch with uh, a couple other pastors, local pastors, uh, one Cal Rickner from Northwoods, and we were talking, and he was sharing with me a couple of experiences he's had recently, and, and he came into contact with a guy that who you would never think God would use. But one of the guys that he, he is, uh, that uh, God has chosen to use 
is a guy who was a former sniper for Yasser Arafat, a Palestinian. Guess what he's doing now? He's a strong Christian in Palestine. And guess who he works with? Messianic Jews. Jews have come to Christ. And they're building relationships to how to build bridges between Christians and Jews and, and Muslims. God uses the guy that you think so far away from him that you couldn't, couldn't possibly, God couldn't possibly use him. But see, when we put God in the box, we don't think God works that way. Another theologian that, uh, that I've read in the past that just not died not too many years ago was a guy named Carl Henry. And Carl Henry said this in one of his writings. He says, who knew that Saul of Tarsus was to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Chuck Colson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. And then he says this. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley, uh, Charles Wesley, who's Wesleyan uh, Methodist, might be a profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. Who knows? The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon may be making posters for a gay pride march right now. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. Do we really believe that God can use all this? What kind of box have we placed God in? Because we have seen already in Scripture, and it's evident in, in David's life as well, that God can use anybody. God can use anybody. And he's saying, well, no way. You know, well, you haven't been paying attention to the story if you don't think that God can not use anybody. So we, so often what we do is we put God's anointing inside of a box and we tape it shut and say, well, God, you can't possibly use me or you can't possibly use them because that's just the way I perceive you, God. So chapter one of David's life is God can use anybody. And no one thought that David would be the one, not his dad, not Samuel, no one at that stage of his life thought he would be the one, the next king that God could use. Chapter two of David's life, though, it uh, goes further. It's not, it's, I call it God's opportunities. God's opportunities. God can use anybody, but can he use anybody to do anything? Do we really believe that? God can use anybody to do anything? Now that's making the box really big. But that's what we see at the next stage of David's life because initially after the anointing, now I want to share there's a number of years between the anointing and the inauguration, but after the anointing for a period of time, initially not much changed for David. Really didn't. Not much changed at all. Uh, he, he was anointed by God, but then he went back to slinging rocks and singing songs and watching sheep. And he probably wondered, okay, well, what's this all mean? You know, I mean, what, isn't there some kind of class I need to be taking for you know, how to be a king 101 or something like that? You know, because, you know, I'm, I've been anointed by God. I know what that means. Other people know what that means. And it had to be a strange period of time in his life. And what happens is really interesting because during this period of time as he's waiting, he's anointed to be the next king to replace Saul. Guess what happens? David is brought to King Saul's palace to play the harp because he's a good harp player. And Saul's going through this period of depression and all kind of problems going on in his life. And he brings and and to soothe the depressed, forsaken king. And and we, as we've read, if you read the story this week, you know that what happened in there is that when he was brought there, not only did he play the music, but he became a friend in a sense of Saul, a confidant. He became his armor bearer. He became somebody who who God uh, used even in, with this Saul who was disgraced, uh, and he formed this relationship. 
And as we read further in the story, the, the probably the most famous story of all in regard to David is David and Goliath. And we read that part of the story. And we come to that part of his life. And during that time, a Philistine warrior named Goliath was threatening the army of Israel. We read in 1 Samuel 17, 11, uh, that this is the response of the people. When, when it says that they were two armies, one on the Philistines on one hill and the Israelites on another hill. And what they would do is they'd go out and kind of form lines and kind of like get ready to fight, but nobody would do anything for a long time. And so this this Philistine giant, he said he was over nine feet tall. That's a big guy, you know. Um, He would go out in front of everybody else, and it described his armor and how big he was. He was a monstrous guy, monstrous guy. And he'd go out and and, and make threats to the Israelites. Say, come, will somebody come and uh, fight me? And if we fight me, if you win, you know, uh, then then we will become become your slaves. And, And but if I win. Uh, you become our slaves. And, and so he does that. And it says in First Samuel seventeen eleven, on hearing the Philistines' words, uh, Goliath's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That's a normal response, right? I mean, if I saw a nine-foot guy with, a, with armor and, and a, it says a spear, I think the head of the spear was like 15 pounds. It's a big head of a spear. And he had all this stuff going on. I would be terrified too. It's natural. It's a, it's a natural thing to do. But David comes into the scene. He's been going kind of back and forth between the king's palace and back home to keep, take care of the sheep. And David, this young, unexperienced a boy, comes and, and he hears the words that, that Goliath says. And in First, in first Samuel seventeen twenty six, this is his response. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And then when we read that, we're going like, okay, maybe uh, Daniel, I mean, David may have been uh, 18 at the time, a few years later now, has been going through this process. Okay, he's not old enough to fight an army yet, but he's old enough to be he's a little older, but he's still a young kid. And the thing is, you go to it, well, that's just cocky. You know, I mean, who, who does he think he is? That's kind of the thing that's going on. And he was laughed at and discouraged from fighting, but David knew God was on his side. And so he goes to Saul and he says this to Saul. David says this to Saul. Don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Now, David's been anointed the next king. But he has been in waiting and wondering. He's been wondering, what am I supposed to be doing? And God has been preparing him all along for his kingship. I mean, it's one thing to, sh- to be the leader of a sheep, a sheep herd. It's another thing to be a leader of a nation. And there's this big gap in between, and God is preparing him during this time. But David, part of this preparation is this encounter with Goliath. And so we see here, in a sense, um, Saul had started off following God. He'd seen God do great things. But now he's afraid. He's afraid because why? Why is he afraid? Because he put God in the box. See, that's their response when we put God in the box. We become afraid because our God's not big enough. To meet the needs of life. He's not big enough to overcome the things that are there. And so Goliath sees him. And David goes out to meet him and says. And he mocks him. But David replies to Goliath. He says in 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come, with, come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel. Whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. Boy, that's, that's just this little kid. Yeah. This nine-foot guy, it's almost humorous Look, thinking about this. 
And then he says this, then he says this, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now notice what he says. He doesn't say, then everybody will know that David is a mighty warrior. He could have said that, right? I mean, David's the one that's going to do the killing. He could have taken all the credit. But keep that in mind. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. See, Saul and his army are terrified. And the reason they are terrified is that when you put God in a box, you will be consumed with fear. That is what I'm telling you today. Do not put God in a box. Because you will be consumed with fear. You will be asking all the wrong questions because you will always be asking the what if question. The what if question. What if Goliath wins? I'm sure I'll, I mean, as much as Saul wanted somebody to go out and face Goliath, not him. You know, somebody else to do that. He's going like, man, I can't stand this kid because what if Goliath wins? What if? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if? What if they take our land? And then we ask ourselves questions when we put God to box. What if our economy doesn't recover? What if it's cancer? What if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if there's another terrorist attack? What if? What if? What if? Because when we place God in a box, and our God's not a big God, a God can do anything and use anybody, then we begin to see God not as the God who can do anything like David saw him. But we see God as a God who can do just what we think he can do. Remember back in verse 33 when Saul replied, there's no way, David, you can fight this uh, Philistine and possibly win? This is the way we respond when we put God in a box. There's no way. There's no way that can happen. God can't forgive me. He can't use me. He can't provide for me. He can't redeem. But David says, yes, he can. See, everybody else sees the giant, the opposition. But David sees God. That's the difference here. David teaches us that God can, do any, can use anybody to do anything. Finally, the one area that I see in this passage where we most often put God in a box is in regard to timing. Timing. We want God to fit into our timetable. We believe that you can do this or do that, but how long has it got to take? You know, I mean, God, I have my limits. How long I'm going to wait for you? And so the third chapter of David's life, God's timing is this. God can use anybody to do anything at any time. I shared this with you already that in a sense that the thing that we see here is that David uh, becomes anointed at around 15 years old. But it's a long period, 15 years at least, before he becomes king, before he's uh, inaugurated as king. And God's timing is rarely ever our timing. And it can be difficult to wait. For 10 years, for 10 years of those years, David is not just tending sheep and doing stuff. He's running and hiding from Saul who becomes belligerent and crazy. And so 10 of these years that he's in waiting to become a king, David is on the run, hiding in caves. And you can read that as well. And we read, but, but let me tell you how, how, how David responds to that because that's the one thing about David we know a lot about is his heart because he wrote a lot of the Psalms. Maybe all of them, we don't know for certain. But the thing is, is he says this in Psalm 27, 14. 
Wait patiently for the Lord. And then he says this at the end of it. Be brave and courageous. How does being waiting tie together with being brave and courageous? Well, David is saying it takes courage and, and to be brave to wait for God. Remember earlier that Saul, what he had done, how he had lost favor with God the first time? Is that they were on a place, and we've read this a couple of weeks ago. They, they were on a mountain, and they'd already had a battle, and, and they were supposed to do this offering, this worship thing for God. And Samuel's supposed to come and do it, but Samuel didn't arrive on time. What does Saul, what does Saul decide to do? Let's take things in our own. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for, for, for Samuel to show up. I'm going to do it myself. That was the first step in the downward spiral that we see Saul. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. And, and, and see if you're, if you're, if, if your God is in a box and you don't want to wait, you've got to make it happen. That, that's limiting who God is. See, we think that he has to do it on our, on our terms, in our, in our way. Because it says in 2 Samuel 5, 4, that David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. It took at least 15 years. How many people don't want to wait 15 years for anything? None of us want to wait 15 minutes. See, we put God to box. We said, well, you know, we just don't want to wait for God's timing in our lives so often. And so we put God in this box of, well, God, you do these things this way in my time. So I ask you this. Do you believe that God can use anybody to do anything at any time? Or is your God too small? See, your concept of God determines everything. I think Tozer was right. Our concept of God determines everything. And the reason why we find ourselves living unpredictable or predictable, safe lives that are often dominated by fear and anxiety is because we have made God too small. We've placed them in a box. So I want you to think about this today. What does your God look like? Let me say it this way. If your God operates on your timetable, then your God is too small. If your God is always saying come, but never saying go, then your God is too small. (laughs) I thought about this one. If your God loves Americans more than he does Iranians, then your God is too small. If your God never wrecks your schedule or messes up your plans, and he's never asked you to do something that isn't in the budget, then your God is too small. If your God needs, listen carefully, and with open hearts. If your God needs a certain president in office to accomplish his purposes in this country, then your God is too small. If your God has never filled your eyes with tears because of his grace or taken away your breath because of his power, then your God is too small. If God's dream for you is to retire and spend a couple of decades taking it easy, your God is too small. God has bigger plans than that for you. 
If your God always agrees with you and always thinks that your opinions and preferences are the most reasonable and he likes what you happen to like, then your God is too small. If your God is just fine with spending only an hour a week with you, then your God is too small. If your God says, you've worked hard enough on your marriage, I just want you to be happy, then your God is too small. If your God looks at your sins of greed, lust, or gossip and says it's no big deal, uh, you're better off than most people, then your God's too small. If your God says you're too young, or you're too old, or you're too broken, or you're too poor, or you're too late, or you're too guilty, then your God is too small. If your God fits nicely into a box, then your God is too small. God wants us to throw away the box. He wants us to trust in him and to believe that he can use anybody to do anything at any time. Do we? How big is your God? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.